Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are in the book still, of course, of Genesis, which is just always delightful after having been hanging out in Deuteronomy for a while, um, <laughs> to be back at the stories of our people, the stories of the patriarchs and matriarchs, um, because it is a lot more like studying literature, which I love, and many of you do too, I think. Um, so we, we are going to treat this as literature. Uh, of course, for us, it's sacred literature, and um, that's an important distinction on some levels. Um, we, we talked last week about Rebecca, about Rivka, and we are getting one of the central stories about Rivka now. So we had her betrothal scene, and we learned something about, you know, what she's like um, when she brings Eliezer home and she waters the camels and offers to do that for someone she doesn't know, um, hospitality, all that kind of grooviness. So, um, so we learned something about her. We're going to really learn about Rivka now. <laughs> we are going to learn really, really seriously who Rivka is in this story. This is really the central story of Rivka. Uh, and based on this story, Rabbi Yitz Greenberg says that this, this solidifies Rivka's place as really the most important matriarch, the most impactful matriarch, um, because she really defines um, what's going to happen with the promise, the covenant, uh, and and who we become as the Jewish people. So, because we are the people Israel, Israel is, core, is, of course, the other name for Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel when he wrestles with the, we're not sure what it is, demon slash angel slash God. And we, we become the, the B'nai Israel, the descendants of Israel. It is Rivka who decides which of her twin sons is going to be the inheritor of the promise of the covenant. And we're going to see that story today. That's, that's the triennial reading for today. Um, so we read this every three years. So I want to, I want to start by asking us to do what I always ask us to do, but I want to remind us um, that we need to step back from our 21st century American sense of right and wrong and of values and we need to step away from that in order to appreciate this story on its own terms um, and in order to really understand the, the approach of the people writing and telling these stories. This is a story of our founding matriarch and, and the patriarchs. This is a story written about our founding people. Um, and so, so they're important stories. They are, of course, imagined. And so you have to start imagining, okay, well, what, what does it say about a people that imagine their ancestors to be these people, <laughs> right? Because they, they decided that at some point, that these are the people we descend from. So keep that in mind, that that's part of this story. What, what kind of people makes up these kinds of stories about the people who are their founders? That's question number one. So number two is we have to try to figure out based on the story, based on the text itself, how does the text, therefore the author and the listener, how do they understand what happens? We're going to be quick to judge some of us. Let's not. Let's look at what the text suggests um, about what happens in our story, Okay. So I'm going to ask you to do those two things. I want to set the stage for you just a little bit. So Rivka has, has been barren. Like all of our matriarchs, she has to go through a period of barrenness, of infertility. Women were defined in that world by sons, right? By having sons. That's how they achieve status in the clan. She's the wife of the patriarch, Isaac is the only patriarch not to take a second wife. It is the only non-polygamous family that we have in the, in the patriarchs and matriarchs. So she has a different status than other of our matriarchs, just in the fact that she's Isaac's only wife. She's his only partner. 
that gives her kind of, that gives her a, a little more gravitas, a little more weight, one would think in the relationship than if one, right, is, is one of several wives. Okay. Well, we don't know that, but we could imagine that that, that might be true. So, so she's married to Isaac. She's the only wife. She's barren. She then prays and becomes pregnant with two male twins. She has a very difficult pregnancy and she's concerned about what that means. She goes and sees, seeks an oracle. We are told nothing more than that. Are these leftover priestess stories like we suggested three years ago? Possibly. Possibly she had some cultic role, right, in Mesopotamian culture. And she's now evolved into being a member of the Yaoist patriarchy because that's what happened. The Mesopotamian, right, out of that rises this Israelite Yaoist patriarchy. So her character has to be changed. But she has access to divinity somehow. She gets an oracle and the oracle tells her two nations are struggling in your belly. That's why your pregnancy is so uncomfortable and scary. They're fighting in there. Two nations are going to descend from your two sons. And the and we're not clear about the Hebrew. Um, the Hebrew can be translated two ways. Usually it's translated as follows. And the younger w- and the older will serve the younger. This is what Rivka's told by the oracle. Why, why is that a bum, 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 bum? like thing, because in the ancient world, in this Mesopotamian culture, the elder son had a cultic role. The older son was sacred and set aside for the cult. First fruits and first issue of the womb of animals still were in ancient Israelite society. But because human sacrifice was prohibited in early Israel, we don't know about the rest of the region or before Israel, we don't know. Because human sacrifice wasn't going to happen and because the cult really didn't want firstborn sons, instead they go to the system of the Levites, the firstborn son had to be redeemed from sacral status. Possibly originally that sacral status involved rites and rituals that the eldest son would perform for the ancestors, right? For the patriarch, when the patriarch dies. We know this happened in matriarchal cultures that the daughter, the sacral daughter chosen as the heir to the priestess would perform those rites and rituals on her behalf when she died. Also charged with taking care of that patriarch or matriarch when they are old. So the firstborn son has sacral status. Esau in English, Esau in Hebrew, is born before Jacob by a few minutes. He is therefore the firstborn son and is and would have had sacral status bef- before right the system that we're looking at. So that's one thing to remember that this is this is a system that took the rights of promogenitor very, very seriously. That was just part of the order of the universe. What issues from the womb first has sacral status. You can't undo that. You can't mess with that. Another factor is that the the firstborn son would inherit a double portion when the patriarch dies. So if you had five sons, you did not divide the property into five. You divided it into six. And the firstborn son got two portions. That status apparently could be transferred. The inheriting of a double portion to the firstborn, that status could be changed. We know this from... um, There's a marriage contract that we have um, from uh, Syria. So it's from the region. It's from Mesopotamia from around this time, a little earlier than early Israel, actually. And in that marriage document, it stipulates that the firstborn will be appointed or chosen from this wife's children, even if another wife gives birth to a son first. 
Did you follow that? So the marriage contract says the groom will choose a firstborn. The the firstborn status will be given to a child of this bride. Even if another bride, another wife has a son first. So that tells us that, that legally you could change the status of who is the quote firstborn in terms of inheritance. We also see uh, evidence uh, in the same region of transferring it. We have the uh, situation in Newsy from the Newsy documents where one brother transfers the rights of the firstborn, the birthright of the firstborn, the double portion business, transfers it to his brother for three sheep. If he'll give him the three sheep right now. So, and there's a document that says, okay, I give him three sheep and I get the birthright. And it must mean that the, the brother who has the birthright is in some kind of trouble, right? There's an urgency. You, why would you do that for three sheep? Either he's been gambling and right. And he, he better pay the three sheep now, or they're going to take his you know left pinky. I don't know, but like there would have been something pressuring him Right. To, if you give me three sheep right now, I'll give you the birthright. So we have that attested in the literature that that uh, that someone with the birthright could transfer it to a brother, could transfer it to someone else. So the story that we have that we're going to read has parallels in the legal literature of the region. So this has been done. Both things that's going to happen in our story has been done legally in other cases. So that's number one. Um, Number two, again, I want us to understand the text from its own perspective on on what happens and on what that means about our patriarch and our matriarch here. All right. Okay. This is an important part, this opening part. Vayihi kizaken yitzchak. It was that Isaac was old. This is an important part of the story. Um, This sets up, we see this attested in Mesopotamian literature, that this is kind of the intro formula that tells us what's about to happen. What's about to happen is that he's going to designate who's going to be the firstborn, his heir, in terms of receiving the blessing that solidifies that status. Okay. So this, this is our intro trigger to say, bump up, 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 get ready people. Here it comes. The big moment of him transferring the status of patriarch to the next generation. All right. We get told that his eyes are kehe, which, which really means like clouded. Somebody is not muted. And it sounds like they're sitting by the ocean. <laughs> so um, the his eyes are clouded. So this could mean cataracts, right? You know, when you look at someone's eyes who has cataracts, they're cloudy, particularly dark eyes. Um, and so possibly that's what this means. But we know something's going on with his eyes. There's a, a midrash, a beautiful midrash that says Isaac, when he was lying on the altar, and Abraham is about to kill him um, as a sacrifice, the angels start to cry because they don't know that he's not going to kill him. And the angels start to cry. And those tears stay in Isaac's eyes and cause this condition when he's older. So that's what the Midrash, one of the ways the Midrash deals with this. All right. So, Vayikra at Esav. So this is formal. He calls Esav. He summons Esav. This is a ritual. He summons him. He calls him Esav, right? So this is a ritual, a ceremony. So he calls him Beno Hagadol, his son. Which son? Hagadol, the the older, the big one. Vayomer Elav and says to him, Bni, my son. Vayomer Elav. And and Esav says to him, Hineni. Right. Remember, you know this word. Yes. Hineni. When you get called by the big shot, 
The answer is Hineni. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm prepared. So they understand what's happening. Isaac and Asaph both understand what's happening. The reader, the listener understands what's happening. This is the big ceremony, the big formal moment when Asaph will be given the blessing. <clears throat> Isaac tells him that that's what's happening. He nazakanti, right? I am now old, and I don't know when I'm going to die. That's the signal to Asaph that the moment has arrived for the transference of the blessing for the solidifying of Asaph's status within the clan. And now take your quiver and bow and go into the open and hunt some game. So he wants him to go hunt because they're going to have the big celebratory meal. Whenever you have a big ceremony like this, there's always the meal that's that, that seals the deal, right? When you, you cut a covenant, you sit and you eat. When you're going to make your son the firstborn, you sit and eat. And, and Isaac wants it to be special. He wants prime rib. He wants filet mignon. How do you get that in the ancient world? You hunt. And we know because we've been told earlier that this is why Isaac favors Esav. We've been told this earlier in this Parsha or not, not in this, earlier in the Torah. We've been told he prefers Esav because Esav, he likes the meat that Esav brings him. Um, Aviva Zornberg has an interesting take on this that possibly Isaac favors um, or maybe, no, maybe it's Yitz Greenberg, that maybe Isaac favors Esau, the guy who goes out into the field, the guy who hunts, the guy who guts and skins and chops up animals, because, because maybe he knows that he wasn't that. And that's how he almost got slaughtered on an altar, that he, he admires in Esau what he lacks and that he sees in Jacob the gentle homebody, the one who prefers the tents and the, therefore the company of women and the family, that that's weakness. And weakness almost got Isaac killed, which I think is a very interesting psychological take on why, why he favors Asaph. Then prepare me a dish such as I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my innermost blessing before I die. I don't know that I love innermost. That I will give you the blessing of nafshi, of myself. Meaning my most important blessing. The important, the blessing is nafshi. You're going to be me. I'm giving you the blessing of myself. You're going to be my nefesh. You're going to have my status. You, I'm giving you the blessing of becoming me, the patriarch. Rivka, Rivka had been listening because she heard him summon Esav. She knows what this means. So this camp, Chispadidi went, um, Esav, come here. Can you bring me, you know, my slippers? Like, it's clear this is a ritual moment. This is the beginning of a ceremony, and she knows it. So she hears what, she, what he says to Esav, that he's, he's given this call, that he's about to give him the blessing of his nefesh of his self. And when Esav had gone out into the open to hunt to bring home game, Rivka says to Yaakov, I overheard your father speaking to your brother Esav saying, and she repeats what Yaakov said, meaning she's, tr- she's telling Yaakov that Isaac is about to give Esav the important blessing, the one that's going to solidify his status as the inheritor of the status of patriarch. Now she uses the same word that Isaac uses, and now, my son, right? So, so Yitzchak, Isaac called Esav, right? And says, now go hunt, because we're going to do this thing. Right? My son. She uses the exact same language. She's acting with the same kind of authority that he is. She says, and now, Bini, my son. So 
Isaac says that about Esav. Rivka says it about Yaakov, Bni, my son. We're going to see this over and over and over in this text. Listen, listen to my voice, what I'm going to tell you to do. This is, remember, Avraham is told by God, Shma Bikola, listen to her voice to Sarah. Sarah's right about this. And what was that about? That was about Hagar and Ishmael and who was going to inherit. God says, listen to her voice. She's right. Rivka now says, Shma Bikoli, listen to my voice. I'm right about this because God has told her so. In her mind, right? The oracle told her. So she says, Shmabikoli, also about inheritance, to what I'm going to instruct you to do. Go to the flock and fetch me two kids, and I will make of them a dish such as your father likes, right? So can you always tell that it's turkey chili instead of hamburger in there? No. Most of the time you can, right? But sometimes meat is meat, and it's really about how it's prepared, right? That, that it makes it the dish that Isaac wants. So she's going to substitute kids for the game that, that what's his chops was sent out to hunt. Then take it to your father to eat, right? She knows that it has to be prepared for the big ceremonial meal that Isaac is expecting that he may bless you before he dies. And now, and Yaakov knows here, Yaakov knows that it's intended for Esav, because she just told him that. Your dad is ready to give it to Esav. Vayomer Yaakov el Rivka. So he says to uh, Rivka Imo, his mother, meaning, what does this mean? Not Esav's, like, not Esav's mother. <laughs> like, it's just very interesting. The, the literary crafting of this is brilliant. Esav Achi, right? You know, my brother Esav is a hairy guy. I'm not. I take very good care of my skin. And it is very soft and smooth. If my father touches me, I want you to pay close attention to the language here. If my father touches me, then I will be in his eyes. I will be like a mitatea. And now we have to figure out what that word means. And I will bring upon myself by that klala. A curse, the low bracha, not a blessing. All right. So what's important here that Aviva Zornberg and the and the Midrash spends a lot of time on is first of all, what is mitatea? Why is that a bad thing? And he's not saying, my father will find out that I am a mitatea. That's important. See that kaf in front of mitatea? As if I will look in his eyes as if I'm a mitatea, meaning I'm not. He'll think I am. It will be a misperception by my father that Yaakov does not want to have happen. Because if it does, it could be so bad. If he's seen as a mitatea, it'll be so bad. His father not only won't bless him, but will curse him. What? is a mitatea, right? We, we don't know. If we look for this word elsewhere in the Torah to try to get a better understanding, I don't really like trickster. I understand why they use it. I, I don't like it. I don't think, I, and after reading Zornberg, I, I'm very clear. If you look at the Lot story, remember when we looked at Lot and we looked at the angels telling Lot, you need to get out of here because we're about to bring down hellfire and brimstone, like for real, Um he perceived, he didn't believe them at first. He thought they were mitaatea-ing. So what does that mean? Joking, jesting, but about something important. Does that make sense? Right, that it's not like joking, like, ha, 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 that's a joke. It's like messing with him about something important that they're, that they're turning into something else. That's seems to be part of the meaning of metatea. It's translated there as joking. He thinks they're joking, but about something super serious. That something about that is what, is what Yaakov is worried. Isaac is going to think about him, and it's not true. 
That's why I don't like Trickster, because he is going to do the trick. So then it's not like as if I'm a trickster. He is a trickster. That's not what he's afraid of. He does pull it off. That's not what he's worried about. He's worried about he will appear to be something he's not, which is a metatea. But we'll leave it there. I won't hammer it any harder. But his mother said to him, this is what happens with women in the biblical period when they want a man to do something and the man's afraid of the consequences, the woman says, not to worry, I will take the consequences upon myself. We see this other places. Abigail, the wise woman of wherever it is, that we see this other places in the Torah that women say, don't worry. They're trying to get David to do something. And they say, we'll take the consequences. So she won't be able to stop Isaac from cursing her son. But she can, she can divert the, the whatever is going to happen from the curse to herself somehow. And again, Shema B'koli, listen to my voice. V'lech. Remember, we've had lech about Rivka. Lech lecha about Avraham. Was Rivka going to lech to go to Canaan and join this family? She says now to her son, lech, go. You have to do that now. You have to lech. Everybody in this family who becomes the leader has to lech, has to go, has to risk. We, we said it about Rivka last week. She wants this son to inherit. Well, then you're going to have to lech. You're going to have to put yourself out there and you're going to have to take a risk. It's, and it's going to wind up that he actually has to go to where she comes from. But we're not there yet. Lech, go, kachli, get it for me. This is what God says to Abraham when he says, take your son Isaac, kach, take him as a sacrifice. Now she's saying to Yaakov, kach, go, take the sacrifice, the the animal that's going to be killed so that you can take the status. Essentially, you're going to kill Esav. This is the same language used when it looks like Abraham's going to have to kill Isaac. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful how, how the writer does this. Vayelech, and he goes. Vayikach, and he takes. Vayave, and he brings. So he does everything she says, Le'imo, to his, to his mother, and she prepares the dish the way Isaac likes it. Then Rivka takes her son Esav's tuxedo, which was in the house, and puts it on Yaakov. These are not just clothes. Do you see? It's, it's, the, it's the fancy clothes. It's his best clothes. That's what you wear when you're about to be made the patriarch. You don't wear your, your sweats, right? You, you dress in your finest outfit for the ceremony. That's what happens here. And she puts them on Benahakatan, her youngest son. And she covered his hands and the hairless part of his neck with the skins of the kids. Why? Because Esau is a hairy guy. Jacob is not. So this, it's this macabre scene. But if you, don't, if you don't know this, you wouldn't know that this isn't as weird as it looks. It looks really bizarre. You're going to skin a goat and put that, wrap that around your son's arms and neck so that he appears to be another son? Who's going to buy that? Okay. Well, in shepherding, these are people who are shepherds. These are people who have flocks. If a lamb is orphaned, it would be matched with a mother that lost her lamb. And so, but to get, but, but lamb, but use female sheep, but which by the way is Rachel. That's what Rachel means. A female sheep. Um, They only nurse their own lambs. They won't nurse someone else's orphan. So how do you get it to nurse? You flay the skin off the dead or off the dead baby lamb And you wrap the orphaned lamb in the skin of the dead animal. The mother smells that 
skin and recognizes it as her own lamb and nurses the orphan. Now you understand why this, to the listener who lives in this milieu, this doesn't sound so crazy. That's what you do. If you want to disguise one baby, one kid, literally here, one kid as a different kid, you take the skin and you cover the first one and she does it with Aesop's clothes. She takes her son's clothes, so his skin, if you will, and puts it on her younger son and then does it literally with the goat. It doesn't sound as weird once you know that context as it does to us. Then she put in the hands of her son, Yaakov, the dish and the bread that she had prepared. So now he goes to his father and he says, Avi, he begins the formal ceremony and Vayomer, and what is the right answer to in a ceremonial aspect? Hineni. Isaac says, Hineni, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm here. Let's do this. But then adds, Mi ata bni, who are you, my son? Maybe this is formulaic that he's supposed to say, who are you? And then he has to state his birth name, right? So that maybe this is all part of the ritual. We don't know. Vayomer Yaakov el Aviv, and Yaakov says to his father, Anochi Esav Bechorecha. I am Esav, your firstborn. I did as you instructed me, as you said to me, um, Kumna, rise now, right? And, and eat and give me the, the, the blessing of your nefesh. I'm not going to translate it anymore. So Isaac says to his son, how did you get it so fast? Like if you go hunting, I don't know if you know people who hunt, but I come from the South. So I do. It's an all day affair. You got to climb the tree. You got to put on your camo. You have to go up in the tree. You have to get the deer smell can out and do whatever you do with that. Right. And so it's a whole day and you're watching and you're waiting and you eat and you visit and you, you know, listen to the radio or whatever. So it's a whole thing. And then when you finally kill it, when you finally find one and you make the kill, then you have to climb down out of the tree. Now you got to put it on the truck. Now you got to drive the truck back. And now when you get home, you've got to, you've got to gut it and skin it and bleed it and cut it up. That's a, that's a lot right? So he knows something's off about the timing that, that he's back already with the dish prepared. Now, what Yaakov's stuck now. What's he going to say? Uh, <laughs> right? Look, look at the chutzpah. Look at the chutzpah. What does he say? yud hey vav hey, your God made it happen, <laughs> right? yud hey vav hey took care of it. Your God. Okay. Pretty chutzpah but possibly this is the truth. Yudhe told Rivka who's supposed to be, right? Who's going to serve whom? And so Yudhe took care of it, but I don't think so. I think it's a little chutzpah. Isaac says to Yaakov, right? Come closer that I can feel you. Whether you are really Bani Esav, my, my son Esav, Imlo or not. So now it's getting scary. So now we know Isaac has some doubts and tells him to come closer. So Jake, so Yaakov comes close and Isaac feels him and wonders. The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esav. There is a disconnect between the voice and the, the feel of this son, and he didn't recognize Jacob because when he feels him, he feels like Esav, and he blessed him. Fayomer, atazebni Esav, he blesses him, and then he asks, "Are are are you? Is this really my son Esav?" And what does he answer? What does Yaakov answer? Vayomer ani. He says, "I love this. This is." You can't get this in the English. He doesn't say I am. That's not what he says. What does he say? Those of you who know Hebrew, what does he answer? Vayomer ani. 
It's me. It's me. He doesn't say it's Asav. He says very cleverly, it's me. <laughs> right? So he he doesn't exactly answer, I don't think, Isaac's question because he's being put in a really tough spot here. This has got to be hard to do to your father at this moment, right? Atazebni Esav, is this my son Esav? And Yaakov answers, Ani, it's me. <laughs> he said, serve me and let me eat of my son's game that I may give you my, my, the blessing of my innermost self, as this thing says. So he served him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. So this is all part of the ceremony. Then his father Isaac said to him, come close and kiss me my son. And he went up and kissed him and he smelled his clothes and he blessed him saying, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the fields that yod heh has blessed. So one more time, Isaac is looking for another clue that this is in fact Esav. And of course, Rebecca was smart enough to know that. She knows what cologne Esav wears and it's different from Jacob's. Right. So she puts Asaph's clothes on him so that he smells like Asaph. And I don't know about y'all, but, you know, you know the difference. Right. And how people when you have a distinctive smell, you know, that smell, whether I, I still if I smell Chanel number five, I it, it takes me immediately back to my childhood when my mother would kiss me goodbye when she was going out for a fancy night with my father. I can still hear her bracelet jingle that she only wore when she was dressed up. But that smell stays with, with me forever. So that, she knows that. Rivka knows that. And so he smells like Esav. Here's the actual blessing. May God give you of the dew of the heaven and the fat of the earth, abundance of new grain and wine. That's always a good thing to have. Let peoples serve you and nations bow to you. Be master over your brothers and let your mother's sons bow to you. Meaning the other son. And if she should have any others, if she should have any more. Cursed be they who curse you. Blessed they who bless you. He has been given formally the blessing of being the boss over his brother. No sooner had Jacob left the presence of his father Isaac after Isaac had finished blessing Jacob than his brother Esau came back from the hunt. All right, we've had the ceremony. They've eaten, they've had wine, they've been sitting, they've been doing, they've been whatever. Comes the formal giving of the blessing. Yaakov exits stage left. Who comes on stage right? Esau, <laughs> right? Bert sees it very clearly in his head. In, in comes Asaf, stage right. And he had done exactly what his father told him to do. And he gives his father the food and says exactly what Yaakov said to his father, right? This is the formal words. Sit up, eat, that you may give me the blessing of your nefesh. This is the what you're supposed to say to trigger the ceremony. And Isaac says to him, Mi ata, who are you? He answers the same thing Yaakov answers, but fills in the rest. It's me. Your son, your firstborn. Esav, Yaakov doesn't say that part. Yaakov just says, Ani. So that's exactly what Esav answers. It's Ani, it's me. Kama, your son, your firstborn, Esav. Now watch what happens. Isaac trembles with a violent trembling. Period, full stop, Right? That that scene should stop right there for a good 30 seconds. He, he, he is shuddering violently, Vayomer, and then says, who was it who hunted game and brought it to me and I ate, right? And I ate it, Beterem Tavo, before you got here. 
How, he's confused. How can that be? I already ate, but you weren't here. How could I have eaten what you made for me when you weren't here? Go, and, and the Avarchehu, I blessed him. Gam baruch yeh, so shall he be blessed. Kishma Esav at Divrei Aviv, when Esav hears these words of his father, tsa'aka gedola umara ad me'od, he, he lets out a tsa'aka. We've talked about tsa'aka, haven't we? What is tsa'aka? What is that? That is the, the wailing, the shouting, the crying of the oppressed. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Tsa'aka. There was a tsa'aka. Remember Egypt? God doesn't do anything to help the Israelites until they raise a tsa'aka gedola, a big tsa'aka. It is the cry that will come before God, that God will take vengeance on behalf of the widows and the orphans, the oppressed and the poor, if their tsa'aka should come before God. That's being used here of Esau, that he, it's implying Esau is oppressed here, that, that, right, that he's been wronged by someone in a position of power. He's, He's, he's crazy with grief and betrayal. Bless me also, Father. He thought this was going to be the day. This was the moment. This was the ceremony. What do you mean you blessed him? What? Bless me, please. And what is the answer? What is Isaac answer? Your brother came in... He, I guess guile works as good as anything and took your blessing, meaning I don't have it to give anymore. He took it. He took the blessing meant for you. It's gone. Esav then says, was he named, was he not named Yaakov that he might supplant me these two times? Yaakveni, right? So you see in the Hebrew, the play, Shmo Yaakov, Yaakveni. Yaakov Yaakveni. He's named Yaakov because he has supplanted me twice. Pa'amayim. The first was with the birthright, right? And the stew, you remember that? And now he sold him his birthright for a bowl of stew, just like we saw with the three sheep in the Newsy documents. And now he's, through guile, taken the blessing that's going to give him the status and so poor Asaph says, Hello, Atzalta Libracha, don't you have a blessing that's still there for me? And Isaac answers him, I have made him master over you. I have given him all the brothers for servants and sustained him with grain and wine. What then can I do for you? I've given him the status of being the patriarch over you. What do you want me to do? And Esau says to his father, have you but one blessing, father? Bless me too, father. And Esau wept out loud. We looked at this before, remember, in connection with another text. And his father answered him saying, see, your abode shall enjoy the fat of the earth and the dew of heaven above. Yet by your sword will you live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restive, you shall break his yoke from your neck. And Esav was pretty mad <laughs> because Jacob, because of the blessing, which his father had given him. And Esav said to himself, let but the mourning period of my father come and I will kill my brother Jacob. So I don't want to hurt Isaac. I don't want to do that. And who knows, he might come after me. Isaac might, if I kill Yaakov now, don't, we don't know, but he's going to wait till his father's dead and a period of mourning happens, and then he's going to kill Jacob. Jacob took his status from him. Well, what do you do? You all have seen The Sopranos. You whack the guy, right, to, to take your status back. Well, guess who heard that? Rebecca's always busy listening. So is Sarah. Remember? At the tent. This is the only way women can get the information they need to do what they need to do. She hears this. She goes to Yaakov and says, you've got to get out of here. 
Aesop's coming for you, go to Haran, to my brother Lavan. What she's also doing here, according to Zort, according to um, Tikva Freimerkensky of Blessed Memory, is she's also setting him up to marry someone from her family because she wants her successor to be from her family, not the local Canaanite women. Remember, they don't want, they're not happy about these Canaanite women. So, so Tikva Freimerkensky suggests this is the only way Rebecca can set up his marriage because men, men have all the marriage making abilities, but if she has him flee to her town, to her family, and he hangs out there, it's very possible. And this is, of course, what happens. He falls in love with Rachel. Stay with him till your brother's fury subsides. I'll come get you from there. Let me not lose you both in one day. Because if Esav kills Yaakov, Esav's life is forfeit. And or what she means is if he kills you, I lose you. And then how can I ever look at him again? So whatever, whatever it's about, it's about she knows she'll lose both sons. She goes to Isaac and says, I'm disgusted with my life because of the Hittite women. If Yaakov marries a Hittite woman like these from among the native women, what good will life be to me? So she's saying to Isaac, she has to, she has to get Isaac to agree to let Yaakov go. So she can't say Esau's going to kill him. How does she know that? A, B, what if Isaac said, let him kill him, <laughs> right? Like I've had it with this Yaakov guy. Let Esau take his revenge, whatever. So, um, but, so she knows that's not going to work. How does she convince Isaac to let Yaakov go to Haran? To, she says, which is what Tikva Freimerkensky says is her real motive. I don't want him marrying one of these local girls, right? I want him marrying from the culture of Haran, my family. Because whoever it is, is going to be her successor. All right. And so it is that... Yaakov goes and he uh, he goes to Haran and you'll have to wait for the rest of that story. Um, what's important to know is that he's gone for 20 years and Rivka never sees him again. She disappears. After this story, Rivka disappears and we, we don't we don't see Rivka anymore. All right. Questions, comments? Uh, okay. Uh, it's Jody. So this writing is just unbelievable. It is so fabulous. And I love the way you read it. And, you know, I think about these stories and remember whoever is the girl who's tricking the guy and she's under the bed saying this. I mean, these writers were really unbelievable. So I have to say like William Shakespeare, <laughs> Nothing. These are it's unbelievable writing. That's all I can say. Yep, it's pretty cool. And when you look closely at the Hebrew, Barry and I were talking yesterday that if you don't know the Hebrew, it's really hard to access how clever this is. And you don't get the intertextual relationships, right? Of kach, take, right? Of, you know, Ani, it's me. You right. miss that, that in the English. Key. That was key. Right. And these, the, right? Because he doesn't exactly lie, but he doesn't exactly, right? So, um, so I figured Carol Kleinman was going to have a problem with Yaakov getting the blessing by deception. So I figured more of you would have a problem with that. The fact that our patriarch lies and tricks his father, his blind aging father, out of the blessing, um, which is why I asked you to suspend judgment about it because it kind of lays our 21st century valuing of honesty and telling the truth under all circumstances. Like George Washington is not even afraid of getting in trouble. He admits he chopped down the cherry tree. Like right. that's the story we tell about our founding patriarchs. They tell the truth no matter what. They are honest and they'll take the consequences. That is not the values of the world that we just saw, right? That, that we just encountered. It's very possible that in that world, what gets you the credit is being crafty and wily 
And if you're not born to the position of firstborn, but can figure out how to get it, good for you. All right, you're the patriarch, you win. Rivka knows her husband's about to give that status to one of her sons. And in Tikva Frymerkensky's words, she makes sure that it's Yaakov standing there when he does. It's Rivka who determines who's going to be, right, the one to carry the covenant. All right, nobody seems Hello? to have a problem with Rivka. Okay. Yes. I have a question. All right. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, well, it's just a quick thought. Um, you know how Jacob has to wait so long after he to get his wife, you know, seven years, seven years. And but then I'm thinking uh, if he goes back home any sooner, he might get killed by his brother Esau. So, you know, it might be a manipulation of the family knowing it's not safe for him to go back yet. So you bring just, up a couple of things, Dana. So judging from the story, how does the text treat what happened. If we look at the text, how does it treat this? Well, one of the things you just brought up is a place that we look in Torah to see that maybe Torah is not exactly suborning this behavior because Yaakov, who disguised himself as Esav to take the blessing, what happens to him? You just said it. When he goes to marry Rachel, the love of his life, what happens? His, Her, he, he gets disguised in the wrong gal. Right. Leah gets, di- gets disguised, I can't even find the word, disguised as Rachel. He marries the wrong woman. He gets tricked into marrying the wrong woman because one dresses up as the other. All right. So some people look here to go, uh, that would be karma, right? That, okay. He does get the status of patriarch. He does get the blessing. That's true. He also gets some comeuppance, right? He winds up working for Lavan for, for 14 years when the deal was seven for Rachel, but he gets tricked into marrying, uh, what's her chops? Leah and has to work another seven years for Rachel. So possibly, right, Torah saying, okay, yeah, it's, it's legal. He's, he has the legal status. That's, that is true. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, the way, he, well, the way he got it, it, what goes around comes around. Yeah, it just dawned on me that it wouldn't be so good for him to go back home because of his brother's anger. Yes, too. no, that's right. That's right. But what did Rivka say? Like, I'll come get you. Mm. She doesn't come get him. Hmm. Does she die? Is she sick? Is she afraid? Is, is Aesop still mad? Jacob's gone for 20 years. She didn't go get him. And what must Yaakov be thinking? <laughs> right? Like, where's mom? <laughs> like, she was supposed to come get me. What the heck? Right. So um, let's look at. We had some other people. Who, we had some other oh, people. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Judith, Mehmet, and okay. uh, Alexandra. So somebody go. Judith. He, nay, nay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why Rebecca would choose one over the other. Why did she pick one to get the blessing? And why did she want the trickery? Trickery is the only way she could give, she could get that for her son, Yaakov. That's important to know, right? She, Isaac is convinced that he's, he, she knows he's going to give it to Esav. And then she hears him say so. Well, why she, wouldn't, why wouldn't she like that? So you tell me. It, is he not the firstborn son? He is. But the oracle told her not to ah, do the ha, oracle. Ah, ha, ha. So the oracle told her the younger will serve the older. Okay. No, sorry. Yeah, no, the other way. The older will serve the younger. Although the Hebrew is a bit enigmatic. It could actually be read either way. Um, but, but 
but it's usually translated as the younger, the older will serve the younger because it, it justifies why Rivka would do this. She knows it's Yaakov that's supposed to be the one who, who carries on the covenant, who carries on this Yahweh business, all right, and leads the clan that's going to become Israel. I guess it's just the presence of an oracle, which is not part of stories that we hear anymore. Correct. So that's number one. Number two, we're told by Torah that she prefers Yaakov and that Isaac prefers Esav. We're told that. They have favorites, period. So, (laughs) So they do have favorites. That's just the truth. And most parents I talk to say, I'm not, I can't say it to anybody, <laughs> right? But, but I'm, I'm closest with my <laughs> middle son or my old, you know, whatever. Like parents often have a favorite. Doesn't mean they want to act on it. They try hard not to, but parents have favorites. They do. And I bet Mark Fish would agree. And, and kids sense that. Yeah, right. So, um, right. George, all these psychotherapists in the room, all these therapists, you know, it's true. Parents, you know, it's true. I told my, and I even say it out loud. Eliana, you are my favorite child. (laughs) It's a little easier. (laughs) So, um, right. So they have, they do have favorites. She might really believe that the Oracle has spoken and she knows that she has to do whatever she has to. It's Isaac who's wrong. And that it's, that it's, Yaakov, some people want to suggest Isaac knows what's happening mm-hmm. and has to go along. Why does he ask so many times? You know, that he, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Asaph. Some people want so, to suggest on some level, yeah. Isaac knows. And approves. So this is Yaakov. And that he's giving him the blessing of Asaph because Yaakov is is becoming that by tricking him. You know, like he's acting like the guy in charge by taking what he wants, however he can. But Isaac can't bring himself to like openly challenge the norm of the firstborn getting that blessing and or his promise to Esau that he was going to give it to him. So you'll have to decide whether or not he knows or suspects what's actually going on. Um, but what we know is through doing this, it is Rivka who, who sets the succession. Like succession, the last one. Alexandra, are you referring to the TV show Succession? I am, yes. Yes, ma'am. Uh, <laughs> yes, ma'am. the only show I've, like, there's some content I absorbed this last year, but it, in that last episode, y- you have to wonder if he knows... I don't know if, if everyone has seen it or if you have seen it, but it, it, it kind of mirrors this. Um, so speaking as the favorite child of my parents, um, no, just kidding. <laughs> uh, the favorite youngest child, of course. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of this sort of from the macro perspective and, and what is this really saying? Also, again, this is, I'm kind of new back to Torah. It's been a while. But what is this really saying about siblings as well? And like, what's, what, are the, what are our takeaways about brothers and brotherhood that it's, there's kind of a flawed system that this, there will always be this sort of uh, rivalry? Um, because it, it's so interesting when you think about as parents and as humans, we're trying to always teach, um, excuse me, I, I'll speak from my perspective, you know, that it's equal, that there should be brotherhood, that you have to have each one another's backs. And then also this notion, oh, I was curious about what is this oracle? I am confused by that. Is this, you know, what's happening in her head that someone has come to talk to her? These her own ideas. And then my other question, yeah, that's pretty much the, oh. And then the trickery, how Trumpian, like what is it, what message is this sending? Is this sending, I mean, one would think that the Torah is conveying a message of integrity, of honesty. Granted, I haven't read enough of it. But so what is this saying? That if we can, you know, trick or rig things to 
you know, manipulate things in our own direction that we will, we will benefit. You snooze, you lose. Like Esau was out trying to hunt. So, oh, well, too bad for you. All right. So there's a lot there. Yeah. There's a lot there. <laughs> Pardon so the stream, will... stream of consciousness, Virginia Wolf. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. So, um, so, so, okay. What, what is the Torah? So first of all, let me start at the end. Cause I can remember that question, but the, 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 the end is what is the message? Part of it is I asked you in the beginning, what kind of people writes this story about their patriarch, Alexandra? It's in part to answer your question. It's a people caught between the empires of Mesopotamia and Egypt. This is about a people who live on a little slice of land on the coast who get schmiced every time there is a war between Mesopotamia and Egypt. That's who writes a story about your little, your smaller, your the weaker one, and you are not an empire. But if you're smart enough... If you're crafty and wily enough, you can have power. Yes? So this is not a story just about brothers. This is a story about nations. Remember, Rebecca's told two nations will issue from your womb. The, and the bigger one will serve the little one. This is written by a people who's the little one. But you figure out a way to take some power and have sovereignty for a little while. They have their own king. They have their own capital. They have their own God, right? This is a tiny little people who somehow figures out how to do all that. And that's the story that is retrojected onto the founding patriarch. Yes? So, Alexandra, that's... You've, you've answered, kind of, your question is the question I asked in the beginning, okay? So that's number one. Number two, what does this say about relationships between brothers when you're trying to get your boys, I know your family, you're trying to get your boys to see each other as buddies, as best friends. That is not how relationships have worked in the past. And on many levels, that's not how it works. There is jealousy there is bitterness, there is competition, there is a competition for parental favor and love and attention and affirmation. And often each kid will tell you their parents like the other kid better, right? You get more attention, you get more stuff. How come I always, right? And it's not necessarily true, but, but every one of us experiences often the world as a zero sum game that, that, that there's, there's only so much love and attention to go around. And if you're getting more then I'm getting less, this is just human nature. Now you add the fact that this is written at a time and about people who are going to be inheriting the estate. I don't know about y'all, but I have heard many a story about families being absolutely and forever torn asunder by who inherits what? The business, right? My father was told he was going to inherit his father's business. That defined my father's life until my grandfather sold the business. Now my father had no skills because he thought he was going to get, get this amazing thing my father's life was destroyed. My father never recovered and never made anything of himself. And we were poor as a result. I grew up close to poverty because my father had an image of what was going to happen and it got ripped away from him. And it was a defining moment. That is often the case. Who's going to inherit the business? Who gets the house? Who gets... Linda Scheibel, who gets the cabin in Minnesota where the family has gathered for all of these generations? Who gets the cabin? Do you sell the cabin and share equally among the kids? Does the kid who takes it the most seriously get it? 
with the agreement that that kid will let the rest of the family use it, this tears families apart. So Alexandra, what is this? This is not teaching us what should be. Torah with these stories is not coming to do that. That is a misinterpretation of the purpose of these stories. This is not about what should be. Torah writes about what is. The world as it is. We get instruction in the law about how it should be. The patriarchal narratives are not about what should be. They are about what is. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.